right, check it out. You guys in five months or in four months, you did five matches. Plus you went to a lot more as sponsors and stuff. But if we go back uh, like four months and we rewind all of the shots and training and lessons learned over the last, over those months and over those, um, over those five matches, six matches, one, two, three, four, five, four months, six matches. That's a lot of, that's a lot of lessons learned. And even though I'm going to try to at least start off a little bit chronological, um, I think it would be cool to talk about the team dynamic the most, because, you know, that that's the kind of thing that I think there are fewer podcasts about there's fewer tips and tricks. And so you, you end up hearing, or I, I end up hearing uh, a lot of decent shooters going to shoot a team match and not performing as well as they had expected because of the unique challenges of, of team stuff. So I'm going to rewind to Burris and actually I was at Burris too, but, but I, I always kind of try to play a little bit dumb um, because I want to know, you know, what your perspective and your lessons and your thoughts are, you know, not just me projecting, um, my opinions so that people can learn like from your experience, but at Burris, both partners have a lot to do. Right. And, and although they say, I don't even know if they say primary, secondary, you, you both shooters have important jobs on all of the stage types. I, I want to know specifically for Burris, how did you guys manage data considering that time was a factor? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Day one, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Cav and I had a decent team dynamic to begin with, but without understanding the exact expectations of each of the stages and even the terrain for that matter, it was a little hard to plan. So we, I mean, I, I, we, we learned a couple of things from that match. One was, is I don't understand what pacing means. Um, I'm either 110% or I am at a dead stop. There is no in between for me. Whereas Cav being army and I'll let him explain it. He knows anything and everything about pacing and maintaining, you know, and, and, and keeping up in that type of game. Whereas I'm used to the whole bursty speed stuff. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let Cav explain that. Sure. So for managing the data, we had, um, we had shot matches like team safari where we, we use each other's, you know, we manage each other's data for, you know, shooter spotter relationship. And, uh, that was, that was rehearsed and used in the past, but, um, I guess the main learning point for us at that match was, you know, bringing the right equipment for that match format, um, being a, you know, a semi run and gun type of match. Um, we didn't know if full rucksacks with all of our, you know, rear bags and shooting gear was going to be the, the play or running super lightweight with just a shooting belt and our rifles was the, was the play. So that was our big unknown for that match. And, uh, we, we erred on the side of going fairly lightweight, um, in, in order to maintain a, a good pace throughout the entire thing. And I think going back, we've, after after seeing the way everything worked out, we probably could have gone a little bit heavier with our with our packing list and still maintained pace. But um, 
it's one of those things where when you go to a new venue and you go to a new match that you've never done before, um, when you get done at the end of the day, I don't, I don't sit back and try to rehearse to do the same match over again. I try to rehearse um, what our shortcomings were and, and, and where we can improve to be ready for, you know, any situation in the future. Um, so I think, I think we made a lot of correct decisions in, in equipment selection, but we would certainly change a few things for the, for the following year, you know, if, and when we go back next year. Mm -hmm. Like what, what kind of changes did you guys make from, from like day one to day two, day two to day, two, day three? I mean, I, I know for sure my partner and I, we modified as we went to improve based on shit. We modified sometimes from one shooting position to another, from one um, stage, I guess, to the other as, as we were moving because time was an issue. I, I, I feel like that one's really unique because you, you know, you have to go fast, but you also know you have to find targets. And so sure. when you stop to find targets, the clock doesn't stop. And so realizing like crap, you know, you could space out, spend a lot of time there or you could try to try to be hasty and forget to do some important things. Was there anything that you guys realized quickly? Oh crap. We need to make a modification right now on the yeah. fly. I mean, the, the, the number one thing, and Lee already mentioned was, was pacing. Um, you know, we took off, we didn't, we didn't know if we were going to be caught by the team behind us or if we were going to get, you know, posted in place if we got caught. So we basically ran straight up the first hill. Um, and in that terrain at that elevation, that's, that's probably not a good idea. Um, so we, we kind of went at a sprint pace when we should have been at a marathon pace. Um, just just getting from start point to the first shooting event um and of course we made all kinds of mistakes on that one because we were exhausted and we we went way too fast to get there um but throughout the days we realized you know we we definitely need um you know a tripod to spot with and and a second tripod to potentially shoot off of or use for rear support um you know, not, not knowing anything about that match, I probably would have only brought one tripod instead of two. Cause I didn't realize how important the second one would be. Um, it, as far as, you know, other, other gear that we brought on the stages, um, we didn't, we didn't change a whole lot. We packed fairly light, um, you know, with rear bags and, and ammo count and everything being staged in a certain way with our bino harnesses and shooting belts and everything else um we saw a pretty wide variety of what people were carrying some people had full rucks and some people had less than what we had we we were fairly on the uh on the lighter end of the packing list so but um yeah the main thing that we would have changed was uh you know pacing pacing ourselves and understanding that there's plenty of time between the start times of each team to where if you're moving at a moderate pace and you're not taking 10, 15 minutes on a shooting event, you're probably not going to get caught. Um, but you know, we never, we, we didn't know going into it. We had never shot that match before. So we didn't know if that was like a big thing where half the teams are getting caught and, you know, getting stuck in place and getting their scores all messed up. Yeah. I, I mean, 
that panic is kind of real, right? Because you, you just don't know. And it, shit, I, I had been there. That was my second time. And, um, shit, I worried about that all the time. Like, shit, are we going to get, you know, looking back, you know, when we, when we should be looking for targets, like, man, it feels like we've been here a while. Start looking for the other team. And, uh, that time management becomes real in a way that you don't see at other events. I mean, it's very unique, I think at least sure. in the bolt gun world that that format is very unique and it's really cool because it, you have to, you have to impose limits on yourself. Unlike, you know, a lot of other competitions where the, the time starts now and you have 90 seconds, two minutes, four minutes, five sure. minutes, six minutes. This one is like, all right, it's, you know, yeah, you have an timer, hour. <laughs> the timer is there the, ent- the entire match. And you, you mentioned you're looking back for that team behind you to see if you're going to get caught it's always there. So you're going to make mistakes or you're going to have that in the back of your mind while you're shooting your event versus, you know, a start time, a stop time. And then you rock to the next event or, you know, walk or whatever, whether it's timed or not at that match, you know, from, from the time they say go to the time you finish your last event, you're on the clock. So we thought maybe if we just sprint to the first one and we will have plenty of time to shoot, but, you know, in most other shooting matches, consistency is key. So if you just stay at a good pace and, you know, you're not too exhausted when you get to that event and you can make good decisions and find the targets efficiently and range them and take a shot at them and then move on to the next one. Like that's, that's the pace and that's the way that that match should go. But, uh, we didn't really figure that out until the last day. And, uh, we actually caught a team on the final, on their final event, we, we bumped them off. Um, but we also shot better that day. We, everything kind of fell into place by the time we were on our last day at that match. And our score was a lot higher that day and, and we were less exhausted. Like every, you know, yeah, we, we took lessons learned and, and paced ourselves and shot better. Yeah. We, we, we definitely make up, like we try to cast, right. We do look at our shortcomings. We're like, man, what could we've done today to make us more efficient on the run? Um, and like I said, I don't know how to pace myself or I choose not to or just disregard it. Uh, so I'll run myself until I run myself into the ground. Whereas Cab's like, look, we still have this much that we have left to do. Maybe we should hold ourselves to a good pace. And so that that was one of our major corrections. The other thing was is Cab says we probably could have gone a little heavier on our packs. Personally, I'm one of those people that's, uh, you know, they always say, if you want to find the fastest way to do something or the best way to do something, find a lazy person, do it. I, I hold that near and dear to my heart. So I'm lazy as crap. (laughs) I think I actually got lighter because I dropped my pack the second day and I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And I wore belt stacked, um, stacked my, my mags into my, my belt and into my chest rig and you know, basically ran everything that way. The, the the one thing I'll tell you is, is like, in my opinion, running that match, knowing you have an hour, keeping very little stuff on you was, was pretty crucial for me, especially since I was first shooter up. So I was basically to get on, get on the gun, you know, find, find your first target get on the gun, get what you need done and then get your partner on there and, and help them. So I, I honestly think maybe it's a, maybe it's a little bit different. The bolt gunner probably needs to, have a little bit more of that comfort level because they get one shot per target, no matter what you do. And then as me as a gas gunner, I get a little bit more leisurely 
uh, shooting guy, like say, I mean, you still want to clear stuff fast, but um, I ha- I have the room to make mistakes. So at that point in time, I don't mind running without this or running without that, because I know if I can make a second round or a third round impact, that's still fast as hell. As long as I am taking the good shots and I'm not just sitting there burning rounds. So um, yeah, I, I arguably say I could have gone lighter. And if, you know, if you were to ask me, Hey, let's go back to Burris tomorrow. What would you do differently? I would tell you right now, I was like, I'd run a gun belt, a chest rig, sort out my mags and then turn and burn the whole time. Because, um, I think that's just, that's just best for me. It's more my style. And as first shooter, again, I don't get the, the luxury of being able to analyze the targetry along with position as long as my partner would be watching me make my mistakes on, you know, going down first and shooting those targets. Um, and then if I do my job as first shooter up, he should have a very good lay of the land of what his shooting positions are, what bags, what equipment, and what things would make his life a hell of a lot easier. So, yeah. and, and that scores better first round impacts, gives him more time. And honestly, the less gear for me gets me in and out faster if I'm not sitting there trying to collect my stuff or get the heck out of the way, you know? Mm-hmm. When, when you guys, you, you said you, you, you know, you managed each other's data and you, you practiced the shooter spotter um, relationship. When, when you guys, did you feed each other elevation and win data for the shooter? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like we, we had kind of a drawn out formula for what we did. Um, we, we had shot some other matches where I kind of use this win relation formula where his six, five compared to my five, five, six, basically I doubled, I I would basically double my wind or or, or for for whatever, whatever I shot, he would half my wind minus about, about 10%. And that was pretty much spot on for his wind calls. And vice versa, if he ever had to shoot first, which he doesn't as bolt gunner, but um, I would essentially double his wind and add 10%. And uh, we were scoring regular spot on impacts and then, you know, make very, very finite adjustments, uh, very, very small, tiny adjustments just to recenter us up on the targets. You know what I mean? So I think that was a bigger, bigger play for us. Um, we've always had that dynamic. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the um the big thing that we had uh it, we knew each other's data vaguely but when he would you know somebody whether he's on the gun or I'm on the gun whoever whoever lazes the target gets the distance and and dictates it um the data wasn't really a big issue and ranging the targets really wasn't that difficult um i would say the 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 most challenging aspect especially for a newer team that doesn't shoot together much are the the target talk-ons um like when we find a steel plate you know in a a a grayish silver steel plate in front of a bunch of grayish silver wood how do you talk somebody onto that with you know target reference points and and just the the terrain in general it's it's you know it's the wyoming mountainside so it's all pretty uniform there's not really much that sticks out unless you speak the same language and you, and you've shot, you know, matches before as a team. Um, that's really the only way to get through a lot of those events efficiently is to have, have those backstops to where if I can't talk somebody on verbally, I look down at their gun and I can identify whether or not they're 
you know, 10 degrees left or right, or if they're not even looking at the same site picture or, um, you know, we have an emergency plan where if I can't talk him onto a target or he can't talk me on, I'll pop off the gun and get into the spotting scope and see exactly where he's at on the target and look around a little bit. So, you know, managing data, that's, that's just, that's just math and numbers that that'll, that'll be rehearsed before the match and we can memorize data. We can, we can rehearse all that all day long, but those target talk-ons, especially in places like Wyoming and New Mexico um, for the, for the team safari, that, that was difficult the first time I went out to uh, New Mexico and, you know, at least we had a little bit of time under our belt as a shooting team before we went to Burris. So we could, we could do pretty, we were pretty quick with target talk-ons. Some of them, we, we still had a challenge finding, you know, either one of us finding, but um, that was the biggest thing that slowed most of the teams down was just, you know, one guy would find a target and have to talk his partner on to shoot it. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the one thing I'll say is, is over the, I don't, I don't I think hindsight's 2020 when I say this, because it, you kind of develop a, a methodology, right? Whether you intend to or not, if you're shooting with the same partner, you kind of go through the same process and identifying and talking targets, talking them onto targets. Like Cav and I, what we always do is as soon as we find the first one to get the tar- target talk on, the easiest way is, is to find a close reference point and use that as a straight line distance to where that target is. And if he gives me distance, if I'm on a set of binos with range, I can range whatever that distance is and then scan that range and usually be able to find it within the the site picture that I'm looking for, right? Especially gives me just some general direction. So if he says like 400 yards uh, and then I look at his arm and I'm sitting there just watching him point, I can usually sit there, scan my, my, you know, roll into the scan and then roll into 400 yards. And somewhere in that vicinity, I'm going to find that, that target, my site picture. But, you know, most of the time you, you start that if, no, if neither of you can find a target or you can't even talk to the person on the first target. And then after that, I think our methodology was pretty well developed in the sense that from that point on, we were like, look, one, two o'clock, you know, three, four o'clock, you know, or, or whatever it was. And then you pan left, pan right. And then we had a backup approach, which was if you still couldn't find the target thereafter, then uh, we would look down and say, uh, there's been times where I've said to Cav or he said to me where he'll see my, he'll see my gun pointed and he'll be like, dude, you're way off to the left. And what we won't do is we won't just the partner won't just auto adjust, you know, randomly 20 degrees to the right. I'll be like, tell me where to go. And he'll go pan, right, pan, right, pan, right, pan, right. And I'll literally move my gun as he tells me pan, right. And he goes, stop. And I'll stop. And then right there and there, I'm like 400 yards. Okay. There it is. Bing it. So we've got kind of a methodology and we pretty much, and like I said, in hindsight, we pretty much going through all the target talk ons we've ever done. We use the same approach and so I can expect what he's going to tell me if I can't find it. And it makes it easier, I guess you could say, for me to anticipate what else we're going to do to find me on the target. And But even in there, sometimes, like, you have problems where you talk people on the target and they put their crosshair onto the target and they can't still they still can't see the target even though their crosshair is on it because they don't know their crosshair is on it. That's happened to us twice now. Yeah, that happens. And, I mean, it's just you get – what I call just the, 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 it's the John Cena target, right? It's the one where you can't, can't see me, can't, can't find me. It's right in front of you though. So, but with our target talk-ons, we've noticed in 
some of the other matches, Snipers Unknown being one of them. Uh, another one being the uh, the Horton match. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those those TD stages, even though they're not a match based solely on TD, those TD stages, uh, I would I would argue that we were probably sometimes we were probably at least twenty to thirty percent faster than the vast majority of teams, yeah. and then probably fifty or sixty you know percent faster than some of the the, the slower guys that yeah. that haven't been working in that scenario. And so we know our target methodology, our target talk on methodology is spot on. And we keep stressing that. And as we keep doing this more and more, I mean, it just gets more systematic. That's the best way to put it. Like we, we were spotting things and being able to talk people on the talk, talk ourselves on the target. And you can tell the difference between the team dynamic, because I tried to do that with another partner, you know, just, we were just at a regular KD range trying to get data and I'll try to talk somebody on, I'll be like, Third target from the left, 450-yard berm, you know? And they'll sit there and be like, wait, third target from the right? What, wait? And, uh, and then they'd be like, I don't see that berm, or I don't see that target, or, you know, we, we're, we're, much, we're much faster now than we would be with somebody else by a long shot, I think. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, well, could you just – I wasn't at Horton, so I don't uh, – could you describe one of those – stages in a scenario and kind of how you guys talk each other on so that we can kind of try to get a visual for for what one of those stages look like sure so the target detection stage at the horton match was um shot from a elevated platform like a uh about six feet off the ground a wooden platform so you're not you're not dead flat on the ground and it was through a rolling uh, you know, Nebraska hillside. So similar to what we saw in New Mexico, kind of, you know, you're shooting from an elevated spot down, down through a draw and then up another side of a, of a terrain feature. And uh, the, the fan that we were shooting in was probably a good 40 degrees wide. So really wide wood line we're looking at and targets were painted in a way that they blended in. They weren't, super camoed to blend in perfectly, but they weren't just white targets. Um, There was basically a wood line on the far side of the stage and nothing really definable, but um, there were little, little uh, cutouts to that, to that tree line where they would stick the targets back in those things and kind of tuck them into these, to these little uh, meadows and, as we talked each other on, or I was primary shooter on that one and Lee was on glass and he found most, if not all of them first. So he had to talk me on as I was scanning and um, it, it went very quick, you know, going big picture to small picture, the same way we've rehearsed it many other times in different venues. And we were able to get on those targets and have uh, first round hits on all but one of them. And the one that we didn't hit, um, in in regular sniper school target detection, they usually put something that's very close that you'll just scan right over top of. Um, so they had one target that was at about 180 yards. It was down in the low ground. So we're looking across this draw and one of them was- We were looking straight over we, it. We, we scanned straight <laughs> over top of this thing, you know, a dozen times. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, these were like, 
two third Ipsic. They were a little bit bigger than what we would see out at, at team safari, but uh, you know, with their paint jobs, they, you know, still, still fair. They were purposefully difficult to find. Um, but you know, as he's, as he's talking me onto one of these targets in a pretty wide uh, field of fire, he would look down at my barrel and see that I was, you know, more than a sight picture outside of what he was trying to talk me onto. So he would just, you know, tell me to pan right. I'd look in my glass and I'm scanning as he's telling me to pan right. And when he says stop, I know that somewhere in my sight picture at that distance, the target is going to be there. And it just happened to work out really quickly on that one. We got, uh, we got uh, top score on that event, but. Yeah. I mean, that, that stage, I mean, I think Cav meant to say it was about a 140 degree fan is what it was. I mean, yeah, it was pretty wild. Because like, they basically were like, yeah, the end of that tree line on the other right side. I mean, it was a big wide fan. So, I mean, the reason why I probably found him a little faster than Cav is he was down on gun and I was up on binos. So my field of view was much wider. I was pivoting on, on a tripod. So it was a lot faster for me while he's going prone. So, uh, but that, that, that was probably one of the reasons they were painted to match whatever foliage was in the area. So, uh, that's the first thing. And then, uh, when running that particular stage, I mean, a lot of it was, as a Cav said to me just earlier that match, cause our first stage was a stock, uh, out to a, uh, out to one, one target. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he told me, he was like, you gotta get in close to see this target. You gotta get sniper gay. And I was like, okay, well, uh, so we, you know, cause we had a very small loophole to be able to view the target. So one of the things we always do is, is you, you got, you got, you got a reference, right? You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have a target reference and you not only have target reference, but you also have to have your shooter reference because if you don't have your shooter perspective, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm never going to get you on target. So I think on that stage, there was at least two targets where I had them pan, right, pan, right. But every time I tell him to shoot pan, right. I would basically be standing right over top of him. So as I watched his muzzle, you know, glow, uh, go towards that target, I knew where it was going to break. And if I had to, I could reach down, grab the buttstock of his gun and say, Hey, here, and I could move him even faster. So, I mean, those things were all massive time savers, especially if you have such a large range fan, because yeah, I could tell you pan, right, pan, right, pan, right. And if he's, if he's slowly panning, like, five degrees every couple seconds or something like that, that kills time. But if I say, Hey, look, look where I'm pointing, he'll get to that direction. Then I'll say, okay, now pan left. And then he'll, he'll be on target. So we've got some of that methodology down, but, uh, that, that TD stage in particular, uh, that one was a lot of fun because it, it took everything we learned from Safari and Burris and all that stuff. And it just showed us how much faster we were, where the other guys who had been, you know, some of these guys had been sniper teams in that match for years as partners, and they didn't have the fast talk target talk on. So uh, in, in a way, I could say we took the experience from Burris and Team Safari and really just took that and, and applied that to, to that stage. It was crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, team matches are fun. All right. So you went from there to Snipers Unknown. And let's see. Uh, Chris, the the C, C3 guys, the CR2 guys were the directors. So, so I know those guys. 
t- tell us about some of the unique stages and some of the kind of problem solving that you had to do at Snipers Unknown. I mean, the, the most unique thing about Snipers Unknown right off the bat was uh, they had marathon targets. So, um, you know, the, those are the, the mechanical moving targets and you really don't see those very often at a, at a civilian shooting match. Um, so there was one stage that was basically just straight up movers left to right, right to left at certain speeds at certain distances. And that was, that was kind of a fun way to shoot movers. But, um, one of the more unique events with those marathon targets was a, uh, an HVT shoot. So, you know, you start out from about 50 yards behind a, a hide site that you can't really see it's it's in a cluster of trees so you run into it and now you have a clear view of a couple of these things roaming around a few vehicles and you know they give you a, a brief that says there's a enemy general and a few other combatants and you have to shoot them in a certain order or um shoot the hvt or else you get a zero on the event and all this other stuff and uh all the all of the strategy that goes into an event like that, you can sit there in the holding area and plan like, you know, we're going to do we're going to shoot this target first and that target second. And then when you get up there, you don't see them because they're purposefully hidden until a certain amount of time passes. Um, but, you know, we ended up we ended up shooting shooting the the general or the HVT. And no, we smoked fast. We both actually hit that one on a on a. On an unintentional Simo shot, um, but the mo yeah that was kind of kind of the big the big difference in that match versus any other thing that we've shot this year was was that that moving targets that were dressed up in enemy uniforms with uh, you know cardboard guns or you know cutouts of guns to to hang off them so you could see. You know, this is a no-shoot target because it's not wearing a uniform and it doesn't have a weapon. And these are shoot targets because they're wearing uniforms and have weapons. Um, and then on top of that, they're very difficult to hit depending on the scenario because they set those things up to shoot vitals only or, you know, a shot anywhere on the body will take them down or where you have to hit them in the head to take them down. So um, there were a lot more challenge than just making a plan and shooting a mover. It was very dynamic with, you know, speed and direction of them. You don't know how fast they're moving and you don't really know exactly the, uh, the uh, direction that they're moving relative to your position. So you can sit and rehearse moving target uh, formulas all day, but when you actually get out there, this was about as close as you could get to, you know, random running targets as, as uh, legally allowed. Yeah, that that was that was my first exposure to moving targets in a scenario like that. Uh, I mean, obviously, we we hunt, we shoot pigs, movers, and things like that in that manner. But uh, in, in that scenario, it was the first time I walked up, and we essentially on that on that HVT shoot, you observed an, an enemy encampment from your hide spot, is what you basically did. So it was really cool. Um, you had one sleeping guy, one guy cooking, and two patrol guys, and then you. We were searching for the general. We went up there originally with a plan of looking for the general and dropping him first because that stage was if you didn't shoot the general, you'd zero out. So um, we went up there. We didn't spot the general. And then Cav and I actually had a pretty confident mover stage beforehand. 
uh, not because we did well, but because our impacts, they were lethals only, but we hit like 26 out of our 30 impacts on movers. We just didn't hit the lethals, but, uh, it was, a, it was a weird situation. So we felt comfortable with movers and given that scenario, him and I just basically went up there and after about what, 10 seconds of looking at that scenario, him and I had practiced simo shots. We started shooting. We just, we just sat there first two that we hit, we dropped next two, we took two or three shots at and dropped it. And then we went looking for the general and then my eye caught movement. I pointed Cav to it. This thing starts beelining for the hill before we lose it. And Cav and I both just go, we got it, drop bolt in and double shot at him straight through the chest. So the cool thing about that was, is that again, yeah, I could sit there and, and mess with, you know, my data and learn how to shoot movers and everything like that. But half of that stuff was reactionary. Sure. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And also, one interesting thing about marathon targets, if you miss, whiff, or don't kill them, they talk trash to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> they talk smack. They laugh at you. Like, like yeah, in, I think in real, in real life, they actually have a loudspeaker and they'll, they'll talk shit to you. Yeah, so, like, if you, the, the one marathon target that we didn't drop on the first mover stage, on the first sequence... Every time you missed or whiffed it or didn't hit a lethal, it would go, ha, 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 yeah. you missed me. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really cool, though. I think that yeah. um, when it comes to some of the events, you know, you, you hear the word practical tossed around a lot. And, and then they do things that are so impractical or stupid uh, or canned that there's no practicality to it. And then people repeat it and repeat it, refine it, speed it up and make it, you know, whatever. And then you see things like the marathon targets and you realize the spectrum that exists between the kind of shooting events that we go to and the whole idea of, right. I I mean, I'm saying this because, um, you know, Josh, you mentioned like, well, you're not going to use like a moving target formula. And it's like, no, there's so many things that you wouldn't have the time, interest, or need to do a moving target formula calculation, especially like a person that's changing their speed. Uh, but, but if you ask most shooters that go to competitions about movers, they say, oh, they'll either say like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to lead at 1.2 mils because all the targets uh, you know, not all the targets, but the majority of targets are three miles an hour at, you know, three to 500 yards and a three MOA. And you're going to hit it with, you know, 1.3, you know, plus or minus two tenths either way. So, so they've kind of taken the interesting aspect away from it and they've made them constant speed and they made them perpendicular to your, to your position. And, um, and I feel like, man, you know, it is incredibly practical to have moving targets. Just not move in a way that would be (laughs) realistic, right? Well, I mean, you know, technology becomes cheaper over time and, and as demand increases and, and that realism presents itself. Like, so, so I think that, um, you know, and you could take those linear movers and put them at angles that aren't necessarily that don't lend themselves necessarily 
to just perfectly perpendicular three miles an hour. I mean, if imagine if it was on a track that was, you know, three couple hundred yards and moving away from you at an angle of like 15 degrees or something like that. So, you know, the slower you were, the farther it was getting away from you or the closer it was getting. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, but, but I, I think that's so neat, you know, and, and it seems to me like a lot of field matches and a lot of sniper matches make sure that they have much more realism and, because you're on a clock and the stress, you know, it's just, it's just a sh- shame that they don't come up more often because, you know, like while, while we were talking about Burris, I was like, man, I wish that was like three times a year versus well, once we, a year. We, we agree with that wholeheartedly. We love that match. I mean, I, I, I would do that every single time if it was three times a year, you know, assuming something didn't come up because it, you know, not only is it cool competition, but it's incredibly fun. And it's got all the cool skill sets and it, I mean, it would just be badass, Right. And, um, you know, being able to go to a match that had movers that kind of wandered around and talk shit to you would be fucking awesome too. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think it's two different types of matches though. You know, so you talk about Burris versus snipers unknown and I, 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 I took stress and I've split it into two, ta- two types of categories. Right. Burris is shooter stress. What that what I mean by that is is all the stress is is put on by the shooters, the shooters stressing their heart rate, moving, putting pressure on themselves, right? Shooter imposed stress. Whereas like snipers unknown, I mean, don't get me wrong, you always get shooter stress when you walk up there, the time time's ticking and so on and so forth. But other than those basic factors, it's scenario-based stress, right? So you can always simulate shooter stress. Like you can make somebody run a hundred yards and then try to shoot off hand or something like that. But I liked about snipers unknown and it, and, and Kevin, I talked about it all the time being it, it had all the right, um, all the right parts to make it not just a good match, but a great match. And I think some things need to come together for it, but I, I, I get understand why they do it, you know, in hindsight, like for example, the marathon targets, that's that's a big thing because that's a scenario-based stress. That's not shooter stress. I'm sitting there on a tripod. I've done that a thousand times. Not a big deal for me. But now when you start adding movers and stuff that's going to run away, it's, it's, it becomes a scenario-based stress stressor. And then um, we shot some other stages where, for example, like uh, Snipers Unknown, they did some they did some interesting targetry. Like one of them was they stuck an IPSC out, put it like what I, I guess all you could see was like basically belly button up like like an ipsic torso right and they put a ghillie on the thing and we were like i think we were the first first team to find that stupid thing and there was only two targets that entire stage and you know we talk about you know the interesting stuff but i've never been to a match where they drop a ghillie on it people get lazy or they understand the ghillie flies off or whatever it, it is right but they just paint the target whatever black or they paint it some other color that's close to the but it makes it a lot easier to sit, do target detection. But you throw a ghillie on it, and all of a sudden, your IPSC doesn't really look like an IPSC as much as it did before. It looks more like a tree stump, right? So that that was interesting, too. And we smoked the crap out of that stage. Cap put one square in the center of that ghillie suit and blew it right off the target, yeah. which which actually turned out to hurt us in the future because everybody else didn't saw other, it. All the other teams could <laughs> see it at that point. They couldn't reset that target very easily because of the swampy goopiness it was in, but... 
I mean, it, it, that's, that's one thing I'll say, you know, we talk about team dynamic and a lot of it is, is building up your, your weaknesses to not be weaknesses anymore. So you have, you have, instead of having a lot of people go in the team dynamic and say, team dynamic and say, well, my partner's good at this and I'm good at this and that's good enough. Right. But then you go to the matches and they're like, newsflash, you're switching positions or newsflash. You're not secondary. You're not primary or whatever the heck it is. And then all of a sudden that changes. That's one way to stress it. But so, uh, but we see, we, we see some of that in some matches. And I think one of the very first matches Cav and I shot and actually won was we walked up to a stage and they were like, Hey, switch your guns, switch your roof. Let's go. And I went to shooting what small belt buckles at distance and Cav moved to faster, close in targets with my five, five, six. But I mean, that's a, in my opinion, that's a very basic change of scenario. Uh, and, and so, and it's arguably probably more of a, uh, a scenario stressor, but um, we, we see these kind of these, these kind of concepts built into these matches and they interest me because they change how you think. And now I go into a match thinking, well, Cav is way better at me than target detect, but I can't just rely on him to do target detection. You got eight targets in the wilderness. If I don't find my four, at least help him speed up in that process, then what am I there for? Right. Um, if, if, if I'm a shooter and he's a spotter or he's a shooter and I'm a spotter, I can't just rely on him to make my, I, I can't just rely on my spotter to repeatedly make my wind calls. I have to have some semblance of that. You know, I have to have that skill set. So it cannot just be, I'm weak, but he's strong and he's weak, but I'm strong in this department. We actually have to all bring our skill set to a comparable level. And I think that's, what's made us a more effective team over a period of time, because every one of these matches, uh, you know, cash, Cast primary most of the time when we shoot, actually all the time, I think when we shoot, mm -hmm. but if I had to get on primary, I could probably hold my own and he could obviously call wind and impacts for me just as well, probably better. And then I used to be a way big weak link when it came to, uh, running target detection. And now my eyes track to things that I never thought I'd track to just because I'm like, well, that looks different than what it's supposed to or what I would expect or so on and so forth. So given that dynamic now that we've seen it, like I've brought my, what I would consider things that I'm very weak on and I've made myself either only a little weak on it, or I've made myself comparable in, in some way, or at least above well, highly much higher in skill set than I was before. And, you know, that's just, that's just the way I do it. And then Cav on his pistol side, I mean, he was never a bad pistol shooter, but he's a very methodical pistol shooter. He, you know, he's a very point aim squeeze and there's, there's some dynamic sometimes to just maybe not in the sniper matches so much, but there's a dynamic sometimes where it does benefit you because you know, you're, it's like target size and wobble, right? You know, if your target's bigger than your wobble then just send it, but it's that kind of dynamic with pistol sometimes too. So if I see a big enough target, I know I can get away with murder by doing this or that or whatever. And make it fast, right? So he's he he's, he's he, he practices that pistol. He gets brushed up on that pistol, and so now when we go to a pistol match or, or we go to any match for that matter, if they all of a sudden tell him, "Hey, as a as a shooter, you shoot pistol and Ann Lee, now you go to bolt gun," or vice versa, we have no problem smashing the crap out of whatever targets oh, we yeah. look at. So so after a match, let's say you guys kind of 
you, know, you do your match and then you identify some, you know, some, some weak points, I guess, of each other. How much time do you have between these matches? Cause, cause six matches in four months is a lot. Were you able to actually kind of polish and work on some of those skills between the matches or, or were yeah. you guys pretty much like training at the matches? I mean, a, a little bit, we, we almost always make it a point to go to our, our hometown range that we practice at. It's a 1200 yard range. Um, we make it a point to go there and either work through some specific kinks that we had or just do rehearsals for the next one. Um, there's almost always a, a deliberate training session between matches, even if it's, you know, a one week turnaround or a couple day turnaround. We, we almost always get out to that range. And sometimes it's because we're shooting a different, you know, depending on caliber restrictions or the dynamic of, of, of how they dictate the match restrictions. I'll shoot a match with my six, five Creedmoor. And then the next match I'm shooting an AR 15 and, and no matter how well I know the gun, I still like to get to the range and, and proof data and do all my, you know, my normal work throughs. But at the same time, we maximize that day that we're going to spend is, you know, it's a, it's a long day at the range. We'll maximize it to work through and do some rehearsals and, and work with our, you know, any new pieces of equipment we have or new, new gear. Um, what are the things that you're definitely going to change for next year? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I think Cav and I have a lot of the gear that we want. I mean, we've kind of modified that to be more suitable towards these matches, whether it be increasing or decreasing weight and things like that. I think for him and I, uh, we've learned a lot from, from just our learning from each other, shooting techniques and things like that. Um, we, I, we've gone to a lot of matches this year where there, there was a massive amount of pistol emphasis where every description was, Oh, we expect a lot of pistol here or, Oh, expect some complex moving shooting here and yada, yada, yada. And there wasn't any. And so for this year, I think what we're going to do is we're going to work on a little bit of pistol marksmanship, but largely leave that untrained or not untrained, but I guess a little less refined. And I think Cav and I are going to work on some, I know I personally leading up to these matches, I mean, him and I are going to work on a little bit more of the buddy shooting because I think there's more to be some techniques that can be developed for basically assisting a shooter to being more stable without uh, being a complete like bipod for your, for your, for your partner to shoot off of. So for example, like one of the things that Cav and I just started doing, and it was kind of one of those weird things we get on tripods and you're at some weird cliff or whatever the heck it is. And you're, you eat a little bit of recoil and then stuff gets all wonky and you have to move it back into place. Like it's been at least two matches now where him or I will hang off each other's tripod just to keep all three legs anchored to the ground. He's basically just hammering away fast. So we, we want to develop those, those skills. We want to get a little bit more creative in how to keep each other more stable on these matches. Um, and then to be honest with you, I mean, he's been working with me on target detection a whole lot in the sense that, I mean, every match we've ever done that has a dedicated target detection stage, Cav is smashed out of the park. And even though I'm getting better, I'm 
I'm dragging behind him. Let me put it that way. So do you have any, do you have any ideas on how you're going to train it? I mean, whatever he's learned in the military has obviously worked pretty well. What was it? What is it? Cav shape, shade, something like that. Shape, shade, shine, color contrast, something like that. Yeah. To me, that's just a bunch of stuff he says. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I, I treat it more like where's Waldo, right? Where you go through it and you're like, I know what this looks like. Let's see if I can find a shape that looks like this, right? And Cav looks more for... Um, target indicator. Yeah, he keeps yelling at me about target indicators. He's like, he's like, things not in nature. And then I, I finally kind of... My first time actually getting that was at Sniper's Unknown where I spotted that gillied Ipsic, right? And that's the kind of stuff that's that we, I, I need to get stronger, even, even stronger on some things that I kind of depend on him on. Uh, I don't really know what he kind of depends on me on. <laughs> I need to get stronger on things that I depend on him on. So, uh, I, I don't know. Jav, you want to compliment, you want to comment and say, you don't depend on nothing for me. No, you do a great job and everything, buddy. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, you know, I suck. <laughs> How about you, Josh? Like, wh what are some things you guys are definitely going to change? Um, I mean, the end of the end of the year review that we're going to probably talk about on the on the ride home from this thing. Um, I mean, we need to we need to kind of scrape together, just scrape together lessons learned from the entire year. And um, I mean. I don't really think it's that effective to attack mistakes made or try to fix them because, you know, we'd, we would be kind of foolish to expect the same things to happen again in future matches, even if we go back to the same ones. Um, but, you know, noticing, noticing where we fell short and, and I, and, and fixing those problems is a big thing at the top of that list for me is, um, for most of the matches, it doesn't come into play, but for some of them, uh, you know, physical endurance, I'm shooting mammoth next month in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, everybody could always be in, in better shape and be a little bit faster to have more gas in the tank when you get to the match, um, after your movements, um, and then just continue continuing to develop, uh, you know, shooter spotter dialogue as a team. Um, but I don't, I mean, I can't really think of, I can't really think of one individual thing where it's like, yeah, we really need to work on this one glaring hole in our team dynamic. Um, well, we've, we've gotten better at kind of tweaking things. So we're, we're not so much as like bringing up a massive deficiency as we are just, uh, it's fine tuning. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it is fine tuning that team dynamic. So, eh. I guess you'd call it that. But Cav mentioned Cav mentioned conditioning. Uh, I'll I'll say that for me, what I think about conditioning is is I mean, I mean he he knows I've been I've been going a little bit nuts. I. I I've shed enough weight that my doctor has basically told me stop shedding weight and I've gotten conditioned to where I'm not, you know, what I, where I feel like I'm not a fat slob anymore. I'm a little closer to 
what I would consider college or, or high school condition to be. So that's, that's like my self-improvement side. And then I do need to go back and I'll be honest with you. A lot of the stuff should be me getting on drills. I, I should really go back to the fundamentals where I'm shooting from alternate positions. I'm shooting with bags. I'm not, I'm shooting in uncomfortable scenarios. I, I should really get back to practicing those and just dry firing into and watching my crosshairs do what they do. Mm -hmm. So, but well, I'm excited to, to track you guys through next year after this. Um, most of this stuff doesn't start for a while because uh, CD doesn't roll around. I guess it's happening this weekend. And then um, there's kind of a gap. I could tell you what's going on next year already. We kind of, I kind of talked with a couple of shooters today at WPW and that's, it's interesting because we talk about the team dynamic and everything like that. The guys at the Wilson match here, which is all national guard and so on and so forth type teams. And they emphasize training. And, and a lot of them are like, they, they asked us for something that was quite interesting to me. They said, you know, you give a lot of these guys, we appreciate companies donating prize tables. And then they came to us and said, because the military guys, I mean, largely don't get paid enough for what they do, but it's one of those things they were like, if you guys can donate either A, training or B, matches where they could refine their skills and their team talk-ons and things like that, they were like, they would think that would be amazing. So for our match that we're putting up in March, I went ahead and donated a team slot to uh, to, to the ANGSA guys for 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 whoever wants to come up and shoot it because if not for that to refine their help to refine their skills and give them competitive purpose and give them better equipment because we'll have prize tables and stuff too. Right. So, but I can tell you for next year, starting January, Josh has got mammoth. I think February, we have a little bit of a breather March. We have the NRL hunter competition dynamics meshed backcountry match. Then we have our AccuFire team challenge match April we have real world sniper match. Uh, then May, J June, uh, beginning of June, we have Safari, Steel Safari again. July, we have Burst Optics Team Challenge. This is getting bad. Uh, Horton in September. <laughs> My, I'm, I'm missing a bunch of stuff, but yeah, we, we've, we've pretty much got at least one to two matches each month next year. Nice. And we guys should add add the brawl for February since it's in Texas and your February's not not full. You should look into that. It's down at rifles only. And, I, I'm uh, game for that, know. but I'll tell you this much. Cab after Mammoth and then going straight into Shot Show thereafter, I think he's gonna be wanting to to, to sit. <laughs> yeah. I'm down, I'll do That's it. Cool. It's just a fun, fun thing to do. It's it's one of those things where you just you got to check it off your list at least once. Yeah, we'll, 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 we're, we're going to definitely look into that. I'll tell you this much. One major problem that Cav and I have is is for team matches, we it's really hard for him to say no or me to say no because we go through a pros and cons pro process. Like the Coleman Creek sniper match, we really wanted to go to that. But knowing how we're both just wiped right now after shooting Pearsall and doing all that other stuff and – Oh, we got shot show coming up and everything like that. And he's got mammoth to prepare for. 
we've looked at it and we were like, it doesn't make sense. I think this is the first match we were like, yeah, we're just not going to make it. Can you think of anything else, Dad? Anything else that we've turned down? No, we've been we've been <laughs> we've been going at everything that we can get our hands on this whole year. Yeah, so I mean, next year, I mean, like I said, the matches I'm looking forward to the most are probably going to BOTC, Team Safari, because I feel like those are the two that I want to improve very heavily on. Do you guys have any new new uh, Accufire products coming out? Uh, yeah, actually. Well, we've been talking about it for a while. Our 640 thermal cab and I just went, and it's probably one of the reasons we didn't shoot well at Pearsall because every day we finished shooting the match, we would go out to G4 ranch. These guys are kind enough to let us go smash pigs and get them on video. So we've been running the 640 through its paces and really debugging it and getting the way it needs to be. It goes into full release in a week. Uh, so once that thing comes out, uh, we ought to have you come down to Texas, uh, Chris, and and go mow down some pigs with us. Um, good practice too. <laughs> good, good, good bacon practice, but uh, also just really good uh, working on movers and so on and so forth. But uh, there's that. Uh, our PCO pistol red dot should be out also right around the same time, and uh, our Prio, uh, which is the the new the new daytime optic we're developing. Um, it should come in at a very, very favorable price point with, uh, it, it should be comparable to what you would consider to be the top of the line competitive optics out there for traditional rifle scopes. So, um, we'll have that. So those are our kind of our three big things we're pushing really hard for, um, leading up to that and then of course we have some other red dots and stuff that come out that kind of fit some niches that we've we've been trying to work with so um the but i would say look forward to the red dots and uh keep an eye out when we start announcing the prio but we're not going to release that thing until it is literally perfect well appreciate you guys coming on and uh look forward to shooting with you guys hopefully one of these hopefully soon all right, we appreciate it, Chris. You have a good one. Take care. Good night. All right. All right.